Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Alan Ross to the show. Alan is a transformer expert, and so we discuss electrical reliability and transformers. I hope you learn as much as I did on this episode. I thought it was very insightful. If you haven't yet and your company sells products or services to reliability professionals, tell your marketing manager about Rob's Reliability Project. I have a few advertising options available. So if they're interested in that, shoot me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. And we'll definitely get in touch and I can share those with you. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project podcast on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow the show on LinkedIn for the best memes in the industry. And lastly, if there are any topics you'd like to hear about, guests you'd like to hear from, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now here's the interview with Alan Ross. Awesome. Hey guys, we're back and we have a special guest today. I've been waiting a little while to get this guy on. It's Alan Ross. Alan, how are you? I'm doing well, Rob. How are you doing? Oh, I'm really good. And for everyone who's listening, I mean, Alan, you've been a ga- around the game for a really long time. And so now you're the president at the Electric Power Reliability Alliance, as well as the editor-in-chief for Transformer Technology Magazine. So, Alan, before we get started, you know, this Electric Power Reliability Alliance, EPRA, can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, yeah, it's interesting, Rob. It's one of those things. So I am actually, this is my second career. I, I retired once already. Uh, that kind of tells you how old I am. Now, I didn't retire rich enough to not work anymore. And just because, uh, you know, how much golf can a, can a person do? But um, I'll get into the story of how I got into this whole area. Um, and all of a sudden you you realize you're inside of an area that we actually from from my work with SD Myers was about transformers and you've kind of fall in love with uh, the industry and what we're doing so we looked at what was out there for um, industrial and commercial electric power reliability people and there really wasn't anything uh, and at SD Myers we focused on reliability of transformers but it's it, the whole system. Everything is changing as it relates to industrial and commercial places, data centers, things like that, uh, just rely on redundancy, not reliability. So as we were doing it, several in, in just a brainstorming session about, so how do we help the industry, corporate people understand the risk uh, of unreliability to their electrical system. And we said, let's focus on high voltage. Well, eventually we'll go high voltage to, to medium voltage. But as we were doing that, uh, somebody said, well, Alan, why don't you, it was like one of those things, hey, why don't you, because we were already doing Transformer Technology Magazine and it's gotten some really good 
I mean, it's amazing how well the folks, uh, I'm just the editor in chief, the publishers, brilliant, the quality is incredible. It's uh, uh, a body of knowledge that is growing, but you know, they said, well, how do you go beyond transformers? And uh, a couple of people, uh, Martin Robinson from Iris and Alan Renstra from SDT and our people at SD Myers, uh, and then a couple of corporate practitioners, uh, Larry Bryant from Domtar, to, uh, Tony Dotson from Westrock, um, Tim from uh, Steppen, Tim Haig. We were just kind of brainstorming, and um, as is want, if someone creates a vacuum in my life, I'll fill it. So we said, okay, let's do this. And we created the Electric Power Reliability Alliance. It's, it's a virtual nonprofit, and by that, some organizational structure had to happen. So we said we're going to be like, like an association, uh, and it's going to be member-based, and it's going to be knowledge-based. And um, last year, we, we, without having an organization, we actually had the Electric Power Reliability Summit in uh, conjunction with the University of Texas in Austin. And it was really well received. And it was at that conference that we created an advisory board of all of those people I just mentioned and five others and created structure. And that's kind of my background organizationally. And I am enjoying this immensely because uh, people are supporting it, supporting it financially, but it isn't about the financial since we're a virtual nonprofit. It's about bringing uh, the awareness and understanding of the lack of reliability in industrial and commercial right now, North America, and eventually the globe. Uh, I, I just see this thing is blowing up. So that's how it happened. It morphed out of the summit. And now we've got our own deal. We um, opened our offices on January the 6th. And I have uh, two staff people and hiring a third so that we can focus on member recruitment, member engagement, and uh, building a body of knowledge and building alliances. Uh, your, your reliability project is an alliance, and uh, we'll talk about that later, but taking people in the reliability world and, and saying, hey, electric power reliability is different, and it is the unforgot it's the forgotten and unseen asset class that is going to cause huge problems in the future. And uh, we're here to start helping people solve them. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, I'm a mechanical engineer, but over my career, like I'm recently getting pulled into some electrical stuff on the lines of transformers, VFD, switch gears, that, that type of stuff. And it has been forgotten and I've never like this is my first sort of exposure to this at a, at a high level, but people don't realize that this equipment's been out there for a really long time and you haven't really done much to it or for it. And at some point you're going to have to replace it. And, and it's just something that people don't think about. Well, you know, I was just at a petrochem conference and, and speaking on, you know, as a, on behalf of EPRA and I was on a panel and, um, on the panel was somebody with me. I, I won't say the company or the person. And he does his, you know, 10 minutes of talk. And then I do my 10 minutes of talk. And then there was another practitioner doing his 10 minutes of talk. So I said, can I go last? And the first guy talked and he said, 
almost exactly what you said, Rob. Hey, these things are aging and we've got to replace them and blah, blah, blah. And the second guy said, yeah, hey, the corporate people don't realize the risk and we got to replace them and blah, blah, blah. And I said, that's the problem. Just because they're old, some of the best equipment out there, and uh, you know this, Rob, some of the best equipment is 80 years old. Well, there's also some that's 30 years old. So just because it's 30 years old, don't replace it. Understand that it's a, both a capital approach. It's life cycle management on the capital side. Yes, you do have to understand what you have to replace, but it's also test, maintain, monitor on the other side. You can save a bunch of money, but nobody's spending the operating money, the O&M, the maintenance money, because it's just lasted forever. Well, I think if you can go and you can put together a life cycle, here's how we're going to maintain the best equipment. Well, how do you know that that 38-year-old transformer or 25-year-old breaker or your 50-year-old buried cables, how do you know that, they're, um, that they don't have to be replaced? And that's where the whole idea of reliability of electric power systems at the industrial level came to be. As we said, you know, you test it, you test it according to a standard, and you don't make age the only determinant as to what you replace. You start to put that together and you go back to the finance people and say, by the way, if you replaced it all, you're going to spend X amount. You can spend X minus Y if you'll just spend Z amount on maintaining this. They're going to love it. It is a message of return on assets and return on safety, which is another big issue of uh, electrical systems. So when you give them, uh, I have a new term called return on safety and assets, ROSA, because everybody knows that. that's what's the finance people, return on investment. There is none. There's no return on investment here because we don't produce revenue. We cause revenue to be produced, but there is a return on asset I can give you. And there's a return on safety that I can give you. And anybody that goes to their corporate people and says, hey, we're working on this, these two returns, they're going to get listened to. And, and that's what EPRA is all about. I love it. I love it. And you're right. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And I was looking, we looked at some studies on transformer reliability and we saw like the, the Weibull curves for it. And they had a distribution where it's the, the characteristic life was 45 years, but it was a completely random distribution. So you can't actually plan for capital replacement in a sense of age. Like you have to do condition monitoring. Absolutely. I mean, that was, that's, that's perfect. And in fact, I think Rob, you, I, when, when we return this and you do an EPRA podcast, I want to talk about that. So remember that because, you know, people understand Weibull curves. They understand it, but you're exactly right. When you do it, you go, wow, this looks totally random. And the answer is it's not as random as it appears if you have the condition monitoring data and if you have the usage data. So there, there's some factors beyond just age. In fact, there, there, are, there are a number of instances now. Southern Cal Edison, I know it's not in the industrial world, but they use machine learning to determine which distribution transformers they replace. And in that machine learning, when they started, they used age alone, one factor. And they said, this is how we, for the last 10 years, have replaced transformers. They then took, uh, I think, total of eight factors, and now they're adding more to it. Um, but they took actually the humidity of the substation. So they took historical humidity figures, and they took uh, load factors, and they took and they changed the whole how they replaced. 
saved $23 million back in 2017 as a result of making it different than just age. Now, the problem is they could have saved even more if they had had a lot of condition information that they'd done testing over the years, but they typically didn't. They did DGA testing and that was about it. And if they'd have done other testing, I think they would have, uh, uh, would have done a much better job. And now they're starting to look at doing those other tests. But they've gone from a capital intensive project to a capital and maintenance project. And that's what you have to do with all electrical assets. That's, that's just one problem. There are significant other problems like power quality is changing with automation. The more you automate a plant, the, the the more that the power that you're getting has to be modified in order to support automated systems because electromechanical and solids and, and, and micro technology, nanotechnology, um, they are not necessarily combat compatible in the same uh, system. So you may put in a new, we've got a case of freezers being installed and um, it was an incredible one where there were going to be millions of dollars of freezers at a food processing company to flash freeze their food for shipment. They were going to, they, they created a system where they put in all new freezers because freezers top and bottom, you, you had p things that were too frozen on the bottom and not frozen enough on the top. And they had to physically go and, you know, pull out rent and have uh, testing things, look at the freezer, move stuff, very, very labor intensive. And also every time they opened the door, guess what? They, they cause problems. So they put these new freezers in that would monitor themselves. So if the top rack, you know, was a, 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 because, you know, cold to the bottom, hotter to the top, they could actually through a fan process, the freezer would then change the flow of air to make sure it was uniform. And then it was all from one control panel. So they, they eliminated a lot of labor and a uh, beautiful thing. Guess what? Random failure of these different freezers. They couldn't figure out why. So they bring in the freezer manufacturers. And of course, the company's saying, you take your freezers back. Where are the old ones? They're all scrapped, right? So you got a real problem. This is a multi-million dollar problem because of automation. One of the uh, electrical uh, technicians, just one of the double E, not a, an engineer, but a technician, here sees this whole group of people working in a, at one of their plants, walks over to them, and is kind of overhearing. He's not part of the team, but he said, can I make a suggestion? The line, the feed that comes from the secondary sub from the primary, there's harmonics in that line. There's always been small harmonics. We've never had a problem with it before. Maybe we should check it out. They put in a little uh, control transformer. They took the harmonics out of the line and guess what? It was gone. There was no more failures. $1,500, that's what it took to fix it. And they were about to send millions of dollars of, of assets back. That's just one story. I mean, IEEE's got a couple of stories in there for CNC equipment. When the more uh, complex it gets and the more automated it gets, that's why a robotic arm, a welder that's in, has its own small dry type transformer running it because they had to change the electric, the, the electric power feed to, in order to make that work. Uh, Schneider's really good at it. They do a lot of work in power quality areas, but um, it can't be left up to one contractor alone. We as an industry have to recognize it 
and then force people to, before you just automate, look at the feed, look at how you're getting power to that and make sure that you don't have sags, you don't have spikes, you don't have harmonics because they will do something different to a solid state uh, uh, piece of equipment than they would to an electromechanical. Electromechanical is very forgiving. I'm a mechanical engineer too, and we love that world, don't we? <laughs> we like the mechanical part of electromechanical, but now the control systems, the technology that's changing, um, we're having to expand our thought process. Same is true of motors. The next generation of motors that have monitors on them um, is going to create problems if we don't give them a very high quality, consistent power feed. Um, and and that's, that's not me just learning that. That's learning it from other people that know that. But you'd be surprised at how many times a line with 10 motors in it and they replace one motor with a new one and they don't realize that the feed, it goes backwards too. Now you can go back and say, hey, hey there's a there is some form of uh, a disturbance from the new motor that goes back into the feed and shuts the transformer down and all 10 motors go out. They think they have a transformer problem. They don't. They have a new solid state problem and it's created a power quality issue for the other nine old motors. A lot of really fun things that are happening. And that's why we formed EPRA. We want, we don't sell anything. All we do is we want to give case knowledge so people can say, hey, I'm having this happen. Has anybody else experienced it? And then we take that body of knowledge and share it with each other to avoid unplanned outages, to reduce the amount of money, capital and operating uh, maintenance budget, uh, but to maximize the reliability of the power system. I'm excited about this, Rob. <laughs> I, I can tell, and I love it. I, and and obviously, for people listening, if you want to check it out, the website is myepra.com. Uh, if you got through there, or well, it's in the podcast notes as well, but but definitely check that one out and, and definitely get reading on any of those case studies. Now, Alan, you did mention that there's more to condition monitoring for transformers than just DGA. Can you give us kind of the full breakdown of what, like, what should we be looking for? How often should we be doing it? Like those types of things. So I'm going to give you the, the DGA, as a matter of fact, is, is a, it's already broken. Okay. If you do DGA testing and you get an alarm or you get a bad result, you've already, it's already broken. So what would you do prior to that in order to keep it from having a fault? Because all DGA does is tell you what kind of fault you've got inside your transformer by the gas composition. Um, we, we have standards. IEEE has just come out with a new gas guide. And then, of course, IEC has their own gas guide. They're, they're in the same neighborhood. I can't believe that they just didn't come out with one, but they didn't. However, they basically say, if this, then this. If you've got this combination of gases, then you've got arcing. If you've got this combination of gases, you've got partial discharge. So all it can do is tell you that you have a problem. So how would you look to do something to prevent it? Well, the first one is, and, and this is not what the utility industry does, but the industrial world does do more of this, is you, you, you basically do oil testing and you want to find out if there's moisture and if there's acid buildup. Those are the two basic things. And by the way, they are inexpensive tests. Carl Fisher test and an acid test, very inexpensive. But you can begin trending because if you see moisture rising, you're going to eventually see a problem. You're creating a problem because the moisture absolutely loves to destroy paper. 
If you see acid building, you see a problem. If you see acid moisture building, you see a problem before you see a DGA. And then if you see some of that happening and you do some form of electrical testing, um, three to five years, if I had a main primary feed, primary subs, I would do it every three years on my primaries and I might do it every five years on my secondaries. You have to shut it down to do electrical testing, but the NIDA company who, who we are talking to about as an alliance member of EPRA, their members are brilliant at it. That's what they do and others who are not NIDA members, but um, that's what they do and they got standards. So prior to DGA, if you did acid tests, if you did moisture, if you did just basic oil screen, which tells you the acid, and if you had a standard electrical testing, you're going to be able to say, hey, the condition of this transformer is deteriorating. Let's do something. Because if you can keep the paper dry and you can keep acids out of the oil, guess what? You're going to extend the life of the transformer. Now, the only other variable in there that you don't control is how do you use that transformer? Okay, how do you energize it? And if you're spiking it like a uh, furnace transformer, you're not going to get 30, 40 years, although we see them out there. Westinghouse made a bunch of furnace transformers. They're 30, 35 years old. Those things were supposed to last 10. And by the way, the new ones last 10, 15, 20. So we've got this old, old uh, uh, infrastructure of transformers that people are replacing with newer ones that are less reliable than the old one. And they're replacing it, not because of the condition, they're replacing it because of age. So it goes back to what we talked about earlier. So DGA, you know, you got a problem. And it's kind of like, well, why didn't you do something about it prior to seeing that it's a problem? And all DGA does is tell you that you have it. It doesn't tell you exactly where. Um, and for the most part, whatever happens, if it's a condition three or condition four, you either have to shut it down or eventually shut it down. And that's the big thing IEEE just changed. They went from four conditions to three conditions. And the third condition is you decide, which I don't think is a lot of guidance, but you know, <laughs> um, they know what they're doing. And they basically said, you better get engineers involved when you get to a condition three. And it used to be condition three, keep running. And eventually when you take it out of service, do something condition four, take it out of service. So, uh, the testing, electrical testing, and simple mechanical inspection. I mean, I cannot tell you. I think we did some, this was about 10 years ago. We actually, uh, at SD Myers, we had uh, 40 some odd uh, people in the field going out pulling oil samples, and they send them to the SD Myers lab. Uh, but we said, hey, I wonder if you're looking at gauges. And this was in combination with Qualitrol who is uh, arguably the number one gauge provider in the industry. Um, they've been doing it a long, long time. They're, they're, to me, they're the, the, some of the best in the industry. But we wanted to find out how many of the gauges, pressure gauge, uh, pressure back gauge, uh, temp gauge, how many of those level gauges, how many were working? Less than, less than 60%, so somewhere around 38% were not working. They'd stop working. And, you know, if you looked at it, you'd say, well, I'll be darned. It looks like this thing's about to blow up because of the pressure. And you'd tap the, the gauge with a wrench and then the needle would change and you'd say, oh, it's not working. But they age. They're out there, you know, in, in the elements. And by replacing those gauges, simple, inexpensive, guess what you have? 
you have a more reliable uh, visual inspection. You can you can tell by the just this color of the oil what's going on. Now that is you have to take oil out. You can look at rust. We have people that look at paint on a transformer can tell you where a hot spot is in the transformer. Why? Because it's hot down there. The paint on the outside of the transformer or the fuzzing around a radiator where the radiator, very thin metal, attaches to the transformer, very thick metal, and it's hand welded. I mean, these are not welded by robots. This is some guy in there taking every one of those radiator ports and he, they're hand welding it. You know what? You get a bad bead, you get some moisture, and if something can come out, you get fuzz, that means oxygen, moisture's going in. So, and, and by the way, if you're taking an oil sample, the person's already there. Just give them protocols for what they should do and how they should document it. So simple, inexpensive things before you have a DGA tester. You know, we have people who put these 80,000 DGA monitors on it, and they think they're, they're doing the best for the transfer. And I said, but you're not spending 250 bucks a year in order to do the right things. I'd rather use, you know, the rule of thumb and reliability is do the low cost, easy to do things first, and then start looking at these expensive monitoring things. That's, that's for every piece of equipment, right? Very much that's true. Our, that's RCM fundamentals, that's yeah. for sure. No, I love that. And I really, so I guess, I guess I want to dig a little bit further Alan. like, like I've heard that basically the life limiting factor for a lot of the time on transformers is paper. Like, is that correct? And if so, like, can we replace the paper in any way? Or is the only way to sort of measure degradation is that seeing the moisture in the air? Or is there anything else that we can be looking at? The, uh, the, that's the life of the transformer is the life of the paper, and, and there's no doubt about it. You don't really ever, I mean, there's, there are two or three facilities left. We actually uh, at one time owned three facilities that rewound transformers. So yeah, if it's a unique class of transformer and you take it out of service and you take it to a rewind shop, Solomon or, or Southern or uh, on, uh, what is it, on t- uh, Ohio, uh, OTC, Ohio Transformer, they do great jobs of rewinding. And usually they're specialty transformers. So, you know, they're, they're 4MVA and above. You're not going to rewind a, a 2MVA transformer or a Padmon or any of that stuff. But you can do that. But it's about, and this varies, right now it's about 85, 80 to 85% of the cost of a brand new one to rewind one. So why would you do that, right? Well, Arizona Public Power rewinds theirs because they rewind them back to the same robustness of when they put them in 30, 40 years ago, right? So I understand that, but most people just buy new ones. Um, So how do you, again, how do you protect the paper? What damages it the most? Two things, moisture and acid. So you really are not going to be, you can take the moisture and the acid out. That's a simple processing on the oil. I mean, that's done every day all across the nation, across the world. So you have these rigs that pull up and they just, it's like a, um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're, if you need to, to get the crap out of your blood and you go in for dialysis, uh, it's dialysis of the oil, but you can never restore the paper. You can't, whatever damage has been done. Now that's your new starting point. And that's the problem. Too many people let it go. Uh, 30% of the people in a survey that we did with um, 
uh, a couple of other folks, 30 per, and we were looking at DGA and, and then it led us back to the, hey, let's look at the moisture of these things. 30% of the people that had moisture at levels enough to cut the life of their transformer in half did nothing to mitigate it. And you can do a lot of things today. It's a lot less expensive than it used to be because they put these passive dryers on that are that have, they're just sieves and they pull the moisture out. You can take the dryer off and put it on another one, or you can leave one on. I know uh, NAES, North American Electrical Services, um, they have a site that um, we worked with and uh, they put uh, these drying units and monitors on every one of their transformers and said, we wanna keep them dry, we wanna keep the acid out and we wanna monitor them. And it is the closest thing to a maintenance-free transformer that you can possibly do. So it's much more cost-effective today. In the old days, you have to do a factory dry-out or you, uh, you had to basically do a dry-out in the field. Both of those are way too expensive. Very few people do that anymore. So you can take, the, take care of the paper, take care of the oil. Awesome. Those are some great tips, and I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to be using those. Now, one other thing I've heard recently about transformers is this concern about PCBs in the oil. Like, what can we do about that? Like, I guess it's more of an environmental issue than a safety issue, but like, what can we do about that? You know, it's really interesting. In the United States um, and Europe, uh, Canada, um, I would say that that is not as much of a problem anymore. It's usually a problem in a sealed unit that is very old and we know it's got PCBs. The, so the, I, the fact that it's got PCBs isn't a problem if it's a sealed unit. If it's not a sealed unit, I, I can probably guarantee it's already been taken care of. Um, the SD Myers company was the leader in PCB remediation back in the 80s, 70s and 80s. So in the US, Europe, Canada, it, it, that's not a problem anymore. It still is a problem in a lot of other countries though. And the problem is, is if you try to do what I just said, where you try to process on something and it's got PCBs, you're going to contaminate all the equipment that you use and you can take that contamination to another one. So we will never, uh, we recommend, and, and I say we, I'm talking about the repairs and processing industry. That's not just buyers, that's everybody that does it. RISA, uh, North American Transformer Services, NATS, all of the utility companies that have their own equipment before they do anything, any processing, they will test a transformer. They look at the PCB level. And if there's any detectable PCBs in there, they have to process on it very much more expensive. They have to use a special rig and they have to clean that rig afterwards. But we very seldom see it anymore. I would say out of 100,000 transformers uh, we test and we see that, less than 5% of them still have PCBs. It's a problem largely taken care of. Uh, in, in the United States. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, now, I guess, I mean, we touched on them a little bit, but what are some of those big mistakes that you see companies making when it comes to electrical reliability? Uh, big mistakes. The, you know, the biggest one is, I, I think, believe it or not, is spending too much money on new just because of aging equipment and not really doing a full uh, uh, I, I so we had a, a, a 
conference that we did, the Electric Power Reliability Symposium. And we asked all of the people at the conference, and there were hospitals there, there were uh, data centers, there were a, a lot of different uh, you know, uh, refineries, paper companies, chemical companies, uh, metal companies. So we had a lot of different types of people. And we asked the question, how many of you have access to, no word is, an accurate one-line diagram of your site? I would have thought all the hospitals did. Did you know? None of them did. Not one. The data centers did. Okay. There was much more of that. The industrial sites, very little. So the idea was, okay. And then the ones that we did is, okay, have you added any new electrical equipment into that system in the last two years? Almost all of them had. Have you done an updated one line diagram? All hands go down. It's like, okay. That's the rule. That's the, 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 the standard is every two years, if you add anything or change anything in the system, and if you change nothing, every five years, you've got to do one. And as simple as that sounds, that's the biggest mistake. I mean, a one-line diagram, is it will tell you everything you need to know about the line. Now you look at it and say, where is the, where is the, the greatest risk within this line? So if I were doing it, I would start with a criticality analysis of my most important feed. I don't know if it feeds a bank of servers over here because in data centers, you've got different transformers feeding different server sets. Uh, if it's hospitals, do you have different transformers for the radiology, radiology department than you do for the ER? The answer is yes. But pick your most important feed, the most critical one. In a hospital, it would be the ER. In the data center, it would be the one that you're managing for Facebook, okay, or Google, because they'll, they'll bankrupt you if you want. In an industrial thing, it's going to be, if it's uh, metals, it's going to be in your furnace line. But everybody's got a, 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 and they all say, oh, everything's critical. Well, if it's all critical, nothing's critical. And then take that one line diagram and look at all the assets along the way and test them. Test the cables, test the transformers, test the relays, test the breakers. You would be shocked at how many breakers have not been tested. They're mechanical. Test them and they don't get tested. So when it's supposed to break, it doesn't break. Boy, that's a huge problem. So you've got the major asset classes in there. And if you run tests and you look at the condition compared to what standards could be, now you know the weakest link in that line. It may not be the transformer. So people replace the big asset, you know, get money to replace it. And they don't understand that the cables that come from the primary feed, this is a true case we had, cables coming from the primary feed to a slurry feed in a paper mill, which creates enormous amount of heat, had been spliced seven times. And guess what? It was not on the one line. Well, every splice is a place where you're going to get ingress of water, right? You're going to get water trees and you're going to get deterioration of the cable. And the only way they found out was they found out one splice, then they had to dig, find another spot. Here was the, the really bad thing that happened about it. That cable crossed over a field where they had sold off the land and somebody had built another plant and the corner of the plant, the cable ran under it. So you got to go and get somebody to at the, the new company and say, by the way, can I tear down or can I dig under your plant and, and dig out my cable? <laughs> and the answer is not going to be yes, or it's going to be yes. Now that'll cost a billion dollars. Um, it, it wasn't on the one line. It, it just, you know, the, it, because it was nobody thought about it. Had they looked at it, they would have said, hey, we're here. 
primary sub, hey, it goes to here. Hey, there's a building in the way. I wonder where the cable goes. Um, th that was just a, that was a, a case from we were brought in because the they wanted to replace the transformer. And the same problem was they couldn't get the crane to the transformer because they, again, had to get past this building. And uh, it, it was a mess. I, uh, I should have stayed in touch with them, but my I was actually on a team that was presenting. And I think I just left them and said, I have no idea what you do. This is a really weird combination of problems. Um, and uh, it's not, this was a paper company that was, their margins were so paper thin, you know, no pun intended. It's, it's that, always intended. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that, you know, going back to corporate and you can't go back and say, well, who, this is the, this is the CEO. Well, who made that mistake? Well, it happened 10, 15 years ago. And guess what? You didn't pay any attention to it because you thought these systems would last forever. Now, how like that must happen a lot. Like I even see that in in just mechanical reliability or just regular maintenance is like a lot of the time it's just people just don't necessarily think the whole problem through or they forget about something that they changed. Like, do you is that do you think that happens more in electrical just because the, as long as the lights turn on, we're happy? Oh my gosh, Rob, you have hit it. You know, because it doesn't matter. We changed it and the lights still turn on. I don't worry about it. And then you install a freezer that's got a different thing and you all of a sudden it doesn't work. And and I think it's the um, it's been so reli reliable for so long um, that that we've forgotten that it's not reliable because we say so. It's reliable because Everything was overbuilt and overdesigned. We, we, we designed our electrical systems. If you talk to any systems engineer or electrical engineer in their divining, they did a really good job. I mean, the compatibility between the transformers, the breakers and everything. But now we're replacing parts of them. We don't document it on the one line or we do document it on the one line. But guess what? I'm legacy knowledge. Hey, I know where all this is. I, I, I can't tell you how many boomers we talk. Yeah, I know. And you say, but if you stopped a bus tomorrow and a new guy came in, is it documented? It's the number one problem where we don't document on the one line and just document your primary feeds. Who cares if the back parking lot goes out or the sales room lights go off? We don't care. But for your main feed or, or for your radiology, radiology department or for the uh, servers that are backing up all of the data going in that section for Facebook. By the way, all of those are examples of people who are members of EPRA so that we can share those problems and begin to say to people, look for this and here's how people are solving that problem. And the, and the biggest part of, uh, of our problem is I can't get it approved. Why is because we're looking at it like maintenance budgets. You know, electrical systems have no return on investment and a maintenance budget is a cost center. This is true of all, you know, the, I, I talked to the folks at SMRP the other day and I said, I wish you'd change it to SRMP, Society of Reliability and Maintenance, because maintenance is a cost center. Nobody wants to spend more on costs. But if you say it's reliability and safety, oh, yeah, yeah we'll spend money on it, right? So we've got to get the mindset at corporate of there's not going to be a return on investment. And this is not a maintenance budget. Reliability is a return on asset. 
and a return on safety. I, I think we can change. And, and by the way, that is the number one thing that uh, until I do my, that my final retirement, my number one message is to get a message to corporate. You're at risk. There is a lot of, there are a lot of really smart people that know how to do it. Don't depend on your legacy knowledge. Document it, start with a one line, test it, do the inexpensive things first, and then put together a life cycle. That's the capital part of it. And a, and a testing, maintenance, and monitoring program of your existing assets. Use your money wisely. And I have not had a single corporate person say, that doesn't make sense. They wanna fix it, they're not stupid. They don't wanna have unplanned outages and have to react. And we are so low on margins, most industry in North America. I mean, we're competing with the world. Whether you make it aluminum or steel or paper or chemical, you're pretty low on margins. You gotta stay tight. And so they don't wanna spend money. Let's help them not spend money unwisely. I love it. And I'm, I mean, Alan, I love the return on safety. I'm going to start using that. I, I really think that that's one thing I've seen throughout my career that's really helped people get buy-in is any, any time you can tie safety to your reliability initiatives, like people are all in. Now we got to get you out of here. So plugs, like obviously people who are listening, they should go check out myeprod.com. Now, do you have anything else to plug? Are you going to be at any conferences? Are you obviously you're you're you have a podcast as well? So tell us about that. Yeah, the, uh, we have an EPRA sponsored podcast. You'll be on it, and it's on our website. All the podcasts we do are on our website. Um, the the yeah, we're going to. I'm actually at NIDA next week, and I'm presenting what somewhat of what you've heard at NIDA to bring the uh, the NIDA contractors into the fold and have NIDA be an alliance member. Um, but but if we start to take people like Nita, so obviously I, I believe in what they do. Um, we're presenting at IEEE. Actually, at IEEE, we're going to be media partners. So at IEEE, I'm going to be doing a, at the PES conference in Chicago in April. Um, 14,000 people go to that conference. Uh, and it has, what, 900 exhibitors that show there. But a great conference, a great exhibition. And we're going to be doing if you're if you're you won't remember this, Rob, because you're 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 probably too young. But there was a guy named David Frost and he had a kind of a talk show and he would sit in a comfortable armchair and there'd be a little coffee table and he'd have a cup of coffee there. And there would be another armchair and they would do uh, they would you know, he'd have a conversation. We're setting up uh, an EPRA booth to do that. We get to do it four times on the media platform, but um, that's something that we will then report on on uh, www.transformer-technology.com. So we're actually doing a pre-IEEE uh, edition and a post-IEEE edition. But there's a huge amount of great knowledge in our body of knowledge at uh, Transformer Technology just for Transformers. Um, the magazine is quite brilliant and I'm I am delighted that uh, they've a they asked me to be the editor-in-chief. It also is a heck of a lot of work, and we couldn't do it without my associate editors from Megger, from Omicron, from you, you name it. We've got the who's who of people that understand the technology uh, of transformers, of uh, mobile subs, a lot of different things. It's, it's kind of a fun time. So uh, that's a media plug that I'd like to do. And then we've got a whole bunch, most of my knowledge, and I got to give them a plug, though I'm no longer with them, SD Myers, 
sdmyers.com. Uh, an organization that uh, for 55 years has been about one thing, the reliability of transformers in the industrial and commercial markets. And uh, they have made a huge commitment. They're actually owned by a nonprofit. So that's a, an, interesting, an interesting approach um, to where we're going. But those, those are the main ones. And we will, if you go to my EPRA, you will see resource practitioners, people who are sharing their knowledge, not, their, not selling anything. We are a no sales zone. Uh, I don't want a bunch of vendors. I don't want an expo where we're trying to sell. It ought to be about what can you teach? What can your technology do? And I'm trying to say to most people, no proprietorization. We got to stop this where, hey, buy my thing and it doesn't link to SAP or, or Maximo or anything else. Buy my thing and it's better than their thing and it's different than their thing. And now you got a different data set. Let's standardize and let's get the data up into the CMMSs and make this thing work because these proprietary things that are going on are not healthy for the industry. Yeah, we, we, I, I mean, I love it and I agree 100%. Like we need to start getting access to data and information. I mean, that's part of why the reason for this show, right, is it's free access to information. And so it's great. It's great that people are sharing and coming together and really moving our industry forward. And you will see if you go to my opera, you will see and I'd love to put you on. Uh, I'd love to feature you, too, on the Transformer Technology website and our magazine. Uh, same thing. We put podcasts there. We repost the EPRA podcasts on Transformer Technology. And then we do a few of them that are just Transformer. But um, let's let's share our knowledge back and forth. And, and that way, you know, and, and that you, you said something interesting, Rob, you said, you know, you're seeing it more and more the need for because you come from the mechanical side, but you're seeing more and more tie into the electrical side. Um, I'm seeing the same thing. And so we need to educate the the maintenance and reliability people at site levels. But more importantly, we need to start getting advocating for an electrical reliability uh, team at the corporate level. That includes procurement, that includes electrical engineers, and that includes system project engineers. Um, that's going to be one of my advocacies for the next several years as I as I transition my career, but build something that I hope lasts well beyond me. <laughs> no, I love it. And Alan, you know, I really appreciate you joining us today. This was a really fun one. And definitely like we didn't even scrape the surface. So we're going to have to definitely have you back on at least a few times this year. So I really appreciate you joining us today. I'm with you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for doing what you're doing because uh, I, I, it's going to make a difference. The next generation listens to podcasts. You know, some of the older people are like, what's a podcast? How do I get it? The next generation listens to podcasts on their phone, in the car. It's amazing. So we are getting information that, you know, we're doing this legacy knowledge and passing it on. So that's, I know what you're doing in your podcast and that's what I want to do through APRA. Appreciate it very much, Rob. Thank you. No, thank you, Alan. And I'm looking forward to joining you on your show. So I really appreciate it. And everyone, you know, everyone who's listening, like, I hope that you enjoyed this one as much as I did. I hope you learned some things. I definitely did. And definitely check out myepra.com and Transformer Technology Magazine. Also, if you're, if you're on LinkedIn, connect with Alan as well. He'll be tagged in the post or in the podcast notes. Perfect. So thanks for listening. Thank you, Alan. And we'll see you all next week.